Listener Production. We are redefining and reframing what the workplace is. What we have to learn to be is live in the grey, learn to trial stuff, see how that works, experiment, test and learn, and then calibrate as you go. And I think if we are able to say, well, this is not the answer, but let's trial this. Don't assume it's wrong. Don't assume it's right. But let's see. Let's see this as a hypothesis. Let's gather data about it. Let's understand how people experience that. Let's calibrate and let's tweak that. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe. And this is Fast Track. Work will never be the same again. It's been a new mantra in media, across Zoom calls and in boardrooms over the last two years. But what does that even mean? I know the conversations I've been having with people are around whether work has actually been redefined or if it's just the same. Are we overplaying the changes or is this time the great disruptor to the way we work? We won't really know the answers to these big questions for a while yet. But what we can discuss and debate is how we might redefine the workplace when we return to the office environment. What are the opportunities for us and what are the watchouts? To discuss and debate with me these very questions, I've invited Joan Lurie, developmental psychologist at Organomics. Joan helps leaders and organisations get unstuck and thrive in the complexity. And she's in great demand, understandably, at the moment. Joan, welcome to Fast Track, and hopefully we can get unstuck in redefining the workplace. Thank you so much for inviting me, Margie, and what a fascinating topic. Absolutely. It seems to be on everyone's lips. Do we actually know what work will look like as we emerge from the pandemic and the work from home period? I think that we don't. And, you know, I think typically when we're in complexity, we don't necessarily know where we're going to be next. And we have to have a sense of that we can co-create where the workplace goes next. It's not something sort of passive, like, do we know where it's going to head? Each one of us is co-creating and defining in our minds and in how we take up our roles in relation to work. We will create that future, depending on how we make sense of it and depending on how we choose to take up our roles in it. So um, I think that's an interesting kind of take that actually it's not something that's going to be done to us. I think we can all think about how we want to be part of co-creating our future. I really love that answer because it's not about a race to anticipating the future. It's actually what do we choose and who do we choose to be as the future emerges? I really love that. But I am going to ask you anyway, what do you think it's going to look like? Well, I think it's going to be not one size fits all. It's going to be multidimensional. And I think what's emerging is that Where we've been with work until now is that there was kind of one way, which was you went into the office or you went into the place of work 
and um, organizations had spaces which people came to every day. And that was unquestioned, um, maybe peppered with a little bit of flexibility and work from home. But the kind of dominant pattern was you woke up in the morning, you got dressed, you did took your transport, you went into the office. I think what's going to be really key is that we are redefining and reframing what the workplace is. And the workplace isn't any longer simply a place where you go to. The workplace actually is multidimensional because your workplace is at home. Your workplace might be in a coffee shop. Your workplace might be at times in the office. So I think we've got to really shift our understanding and meaning making around what is the workplace. I think we've got to bring in a multidimensional lens to that because for everybody, that is going to look slightly different. And I think what is tricky about that is that as human beings, we are much more comfortable with kind of simple binary solutions than we are with a multiplicity of options and a multiplicity of perspective. And I think what's going to be really hard for us going forward is to deal with the multiplicity, to deal with the multi-contextual, with the multi-perspectives that we are going to have to manage because it's no longer a simple binary way for everybody in some kind of reductionist world that we're used to living in. And that in itself is an adaptive challenge for us, right? Joan, that is so perfectly put because it actually describes this tension that I'm also experiencing with my clients where there has to be some rules around how we run a global organisation. And when people can come in and out of the office, but people are at home saying, no, 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 you can't actually give me that lack of flexibility now after two years of having done this. So to describe this as a complex system is almost an understatement. What are you hearing from people about how they're managing and how complex this system is right now? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, Margie, because I think, you know, there's two kinds of responses. I think one is that, you know, we want everyone back in the office. We want people to come back in because, and there's a whole lot of assumptions uh, behind that. Organisations and businesses want people back in the office. And then there's sort of the binary opposite to that, which is sort of at the opposite end of the spectrum, which is all roles flex. Everybody can work from home. And that in itself is quite interesting, I think, because, you know, in typical fashion, we go to those extremes, everybody back in the office and then all roles flex because we like simple solutions, right? It's one size fits all. But actually, I think where we're in is is we need to manage the multiplicity, that it's neither everybody come back to the office because you're going to upset a certain proportion of the population of your workforce and neither is it all roles flex because actually that really is tricky and I don't think yet we have the muscle um, entirely for that or we have the cultures yet built into our organisations to manage that. So I think that learning to kind of how to contract with um, teams and groups of people to say for us 
in our context, in our situation, that's what's going to work best. Rather than try and drop in a one-size-fits-all solution, I think what we really want to do is give people the tools, the mindset, the skills to be able to do contracting and set up what could work in your context, in your system. And I think this is a really important distinction because in our need to control things, we try to drop in these solutions. I think when you're in a complex world, trying to control things with fixed solutions like that actually gets us into more trouble. But if we can say that actually we are in a multi-contextual situation and every part of our system is going to have different needs, how can we create the conditions in our organisations where we create enough boundary that, you know, it still holds and we create a container for um, holding together the system, but enough flexibility where we can allow different teams, different divisions, different parts of the organisations to kind of contract for what works for them. So an example of that is if you are a manufacturing company and people have to come in, um, obviously your context is completely different to if you're a software company And, you know, you don't because people can work from home and it's a much more virtual kind of world. So I think there is no one size fits all. I think that we really have to think about how everybody's context is different and how everybody's assumptions and sense making about what's right, what works for me is going to be different. So how do we help people manage that complexity? I think that's going to be the new muscle we have to build. So interesting indeed. This has all occurred really from a change in environment, right? That is the key shift, isn't it, that sits at the centre of this complex change. But the domino effect into all our lives has been quite dramatic in terms of this idea of contracting and where and how we work with each other. The adoption of digital was meant to be the saviour of everything, but in fact it's just thrown up, as you say, more interesting and complex ideas. In this time of complexity then, Joan... What do you think the best approach is as we return to the world of work? Where should we focus our attention and energy? Mm. Well, I think that one of the most important things from my perspective is that a lot of what drives our behaviour in organisations and in systems is our sense-making, the assumptions that we hold And I think one of the most important things that organisations can do and individuals can do as well is to make visible the assumptions that they're holding and the sense-making. And to often I'm saying to clients and leaders, don't make assumptions alone about what's right or about what people need or about other people's context because you don't know that. You can only know the system from your context and where you stand or where you are in the system. And so if you were able to know that that is your set of assumptions, be able to put it out for testing and invite in other people's perspective and assumptions, I think then we start to make sense together of what's going on and how to move forward. I think the second thing which is really important is that You know, context drives everything as well. So how we make sense of things and the context that we're in. And nobody knows or understands the multiple contexts and the context that people are living through. You know, if you are a um, single parent with 
two children, your context is completely different from being a two-parent household with three children or being a single household with no children. I mean, think about the amount of variables and the amount of context that we're actually dealing with and the needs that we're dealing with. And so, therefore, it is so important not to try and think about the simplicity, but how to bring that multi-contextual view into our lens, you know, so it's not a blind spot for us. And so how do we make the assumptions and sense-making visible? How do we step into each other's context and into each other's shoes and then come together to see the whole and how we might actually navigate that in different ways together? Now, I know people go, oh, my God, you know, that sounds so hard. But actually learning to do that will save a lot of time. It will create a lot more flow and coherence rather than trying to drop kind of one-size technical solutions into the system. What we need to uncover is that complexity, to see it, to make sense of it together. And, you know, what feels like might be harder will actually create a lot more ease for us. It's kind of the paradox, right? Yeah, it's a great paradox. And as somebody who helps organisations get unstuck, you are a specialist in systems thinking and the complexity of that. So you're saying, let's lean into that tension. Let's acknowledge it and spend time seeing the different perspectives and finding solutions. Absolutely, because I do that work in other contexts in relation to other challenges that businesses face. Um, And often I'm called into clients, you know, to help them when there's underperformance when there's conflict, when there's, you know, poor culture or toxic culture. So any kind of symptomatic presentation of things aren't quite right here, whether it's cultural, where it's interpersonal conflict between individuals or business performance. And these are the tools and the techniques and the thinking that I bring is we make visible the system. We make visible the mental maps that people are holding about their roles, about where they fit, about how they should be relating to others. And we make visible how the system is currently working. And often when that becomes visible, then we kind of have a totally different sense of what the problem is. And therefore we can intervene and step into the system in a completely different way. But if we are acting without the glasses, if we are acting blind and we actually don't have a sense of that and we don't understand what's going on in the system, then we keep intervening, spending lots of money with technical solutions which actually go into the system but don't change it and don't help it shift. If we do this work, I've got many, many case studies, thousands of stories now, Margie, where this work enables change to happen quite rapidly with a lot less turbulence and um, a lot less resistance. And I think, you know, this is a muscle and a practice that we need to bring to this really fundamental adaptive challenge that we're facing. We can't treat it as if it were a technical problem that we can find easy solutions to or drop technical solutions in with, you know, policy or a new process or a one size fits all. We have to see it as an adaptive challenge and we have to learn to kind of discover the system and figure out as we go. And it feels like that'll create more time, but actually it will save us heaps, you know, of energy and flow. Fantastic. And I think this idea of leaning into the discomfort is what you're talking about. 
and having that conversation. Anecdotally, somebody said to me the other day, it was easier when we were all locked down together. We knew what the rules were. It was all the same. So let's talk about two things that come up a lot at the moment. One is culture and the other is well-being. So when we think about the culture that we used to be able to manage with volunteer days or sharing activities and drinks after work, lunches, celebrations, how do we actually manage a culture now where there's an inequity of experience, where some people may choose to stay at home, some people may always be in the office, and then there's everything in between. What's your advice to us about this cultural imperative? Mm. I think that we have to see culture emerging from the context that we're in and from the reality that we face and from the interactions between. You know, culture is not something that we can determine and create in like a simple linear way. Culture has to be fit for the time that we're in and the context that we're in, right? And I think we have to let go of the notions of what great culture has been until now. And we have to reframe what culture we need to create for ourselves in the current environment, in the current context, to be of this time. So the question should be, how do we set up our system of relations our patterns of organisation, our practices in the system so that we can co-create and emerge a culture which is fit for now rather than, oh, you know, this is what great culture looks like. How do we do that great culture in this new context and environment, right? And not, this used to be the culture we had and how do we get it back? You're saying it's actually, let's look at our current state where we want to go and who do we choose to be again, yeah? Exactly. That it's actually redefining what great culture is and what the kind of practices, the norms, the relational practices particularly that and the meaning-making that we want in our organisations that are going to emerge a culture that is fit for us for now. And, you know, again, it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. Don't try and take what we had and recreate it, you know, like in some kind of longing for things past. We need to see where we are and we need to adapt and find a way to kind of create cultures that enable us to thrive and have well-being now. Which brings us to that critical point and that question, the idea of well-being, which runs through everything. But whose responsibility is that now? because it's transferred a bit from the individual to bringing our whole self to work, to well-being being very much part of the workplace. So if it's a major focus, whose responsibility is well-being now if we're working from home? Well, I think that well-being is both our individual responsibility and it is a responsibility of leaders to some degree, not of the individual's health and well-being, you know, not in a necessarily a carer or therapist sense, because I think often leaders step into that role. But I think what I would be 
saying to my leaders and what I do all the time now is how do you step into the role of system leader? And what I mean by that is how do you step into seeing the systems that you're in and creating the conditions for people to thrive? And that's quite different from being the carer, from being the therapist, you know, from the paternalistic kind of I can look after you. Rather that if we can create flow, coherence, enough of the boundary conditions in the system which enable this provide a scaffold for people to thrive. That should be the role of leaders, right? And and what I mean by that is, you know, an example of that is what we've been talking about until now. Understand people's contexts, help everybody understand each other's context, understand where the boundaries are and put enough boundary in that people know where they stand. They know what their roles are. They know what some of the rules of engagement are, which are non-negotiable. But there is enough kind of flexibility with them to kind of set their own boundaries when they leave their home and choose to come into the office, you know, when they choose to do work. Because obviously everybody's situation is, is different. So how do we create windows where, you know, there are certain rules of engagement which work for the whole and then there's certain ones which kind of leave it to the boundary setting for individuals so that they can manage it. And healthy systems, you know, what I always say is healthy systems need two things, love and boundaries. You don't want boundary collapse, Margie, because if boundary collapse happens, then we're kind of in mush and in porridge and people don't know where they fit and it's just too hard, right? Things like, well, you can't just send an email at any time of day and expect a response. There, there are certain ways that you can hold the boundaries about what is acceptable. But you also want to create the, the flexibility where people can, you know, learn to manage their own boundary. But even having conversations about boundary management is a system leader's responsibility making visible where the boundaries can be set and where they're flexible and helping people navigate that is very, very important, right? Fantastic. And the love? Yeah. What I would say is you've got to love the system. You've got to take care of the whole and the whole then will take care of the individuals. Okay. And if we can love our system, our environment, take care of the context that we're in, then the individuals who are part of that are going to thrive. It's like, you know, if you take an ecological lens, which is what a lot of my work is about, you've got to take care of the ecology. You've got to make sure that the ecology is intact and then all the parts that take up a role in that ecology can, can thrive. And leaders have to see themselves as systems leaders. They have to bring an ecological lens. The more they can take care of the whole, the more they take care of the individual, but not in a kind of paternalistic, I know what's right for you. I can, you know, look after you sense. Sounds like consultation and quality conversations about these questions in the system are really what is the focus, the key to navigating the return to the office. Yeah, collective sense-making, right? And not, I think, what's important is, I think where leaders will go is to conversations about, well, what do you want? What do you need? What are the solutions? And I think in a way we need to kind of sidestep that a little bit initially and say, you know, what is your context? What's going on for you? 
um, understanding how your context might be different, creating the conditions for those type of conversations, but also asking questions around people, um, what mental maps do they have? How do they see the system working? What role would they like to be playing? What assumptions are they holding about what is right and what is acceptable? Those are things that are going to be important dialogues to to be had and also ways of inviting that sense-making in, not purely through dialogue, through sense-making tools that people could use, right? Change the question. I really love that idea. Do you have any last tips or insights to help us manage the complexity of the changing world of work? I think my last tip would be this, that in complexity, there are so many variables, there are so many possibilities, you don't know where things are going to go. So don't try and control it once, you know, up front and say, here's the answer. What we have to learn to be is live in the grey, learn to trial stuff, see how that works, experiment, test and learn, and then, you know, calibrate as you go. And I think if we are able to say, well, this is not the answer, but let's trial this. Don't assume it's wrong. Don't assume it's right. But let's see. Let's see this as a hypothesis, a guess, an experiment that it might work. Let's trial it. Let's gather data about it. Let's understand how people experience that. Let's calibrate and let's tweak that. And so we're in this continuous, what I call, discovering the system, designing it, disrupting it, we're looping forwards rather than here's the answer and drop it in. And if we can help leaders and our employees learn to loop forwards, test and learn, not have to be in control, get it right, have the answer, which is a big challenge to leaders who have got like, that's what you paid me for, right? To have the answer to know. But in adaptive challenges, you don't know that. So really learn to practice, experiment, put out for testing, gather data, calibrate as we go. Then we'll build agility into our organisations and we'll be able to be in well-being, in complexity. Well, I feel inspired. I feel like we've all got the tools to be able to do that. We just need to make the space and the time for sense-making. Joan Lurie, what a pleasure to speak to you at such a critical time. Thank you so much for your insights today on Fast Track. Thank you so much for inviting me. I loved the conversation. Thanks, Margie. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.